part of the way you progress in this business is that you you have to deliver consistently a strong customer experience. There's lots of other things you need to do around, you know, helping others and living the values and all of those sorts of things. But there is a billing level, but that's not just about billing. It's much more than that. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Nick Eaves. Nick is the co-founder and chief customer officer of Stanton House, a global provider of specialist recruitment, retained search, and workforce solutions within professional services and technology. Stanton House is one of the UK's fastest growing recruitment companies, and since launching in 2010, they have scaled to 35 million and a team of 80 people with offices in the UK, Singapore, Hong Kong, and the US. Nick, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Fantastic. So um, in preparation for this, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and I see we have 147 mutual connections, which is not that surprising uh, given that we've both been in the recruitment business for a long time. There's a couple of names I wanted to run past you. Um, Mark Ferris. How do you know Mark? Well, yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I um, <clears throat> Mark um, owned and ran, uh, set up a business called Judd Ferris in the past that you probably know. And in fact, um, the business that I worked for for many years before setting up Stanton House, um, it's a company called Badenoch and Clark, and the group we were part of actually bought his business. So um, Dominic Judd and Mark, I met in about I want to say 2008, 2000, and, yeah, 2008 maybe, um, when we um, you know went to a data room and kind of saw all their their, their business, and we ended up buying them. And uh, so I got to know Mark a little bit, and. Um, yeah, they did very well out of that deal. We probably timed the acquisition quite badly. Okay. <laughs> um, but no hard feelings, you know. Uh, who knew was what it was 2008 or something? Or yeah, I, 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 you know, maybe it was, maybe it was the year before that. I'm yeah. struggling to remember quite the timing, but you know, obviously the world fell off a cliff a little bit. They yeah. but they built a great business actually, and uh, had a really lovely niche in property, and particularly their business in the in, in Australia was 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 excellent. Um, so um, I think actually. It wasn't a bad deal for, you know, in the longer term, I think it was probably a good deal. But for the first few years after the deal, it was a bit uh, bumpy. Um, but no, and, and in fact, um, randomly, a good pal of mine lives near Mark now. So I kind of bumped into him a few years ago. He seemed very healthy and full of, uh, yeah, full of life. Absolutely. So I have spoken to Mark through being introduced by one of my mentors, who's a guy called Romney Raz. So I've seen the other side of this uh, deal because Romney was their non-exec director in the okay. sort of, I don't know, 18 months or two years leading up to that transaction. And um, so, and I've partnered with Romney to create online courses for recruitment business owners that want to scale. So we've done one called Recruitment Growth Accelerator. And he talks about all of the factors which either enhance or detract from the value that you can get for your business and, right. and that kind of thing. So I think well, they got like 18 million pounds or something for that. Yeah, they, they, they did very well. They did very well. You know, one of the things that they did really well um, well, there's a few things. Yeah. It was a very distinctive business, both in terms of its market, um, but also dis- it was very distinctive culturally. It, they, they did a great job around marketing and brand. So they used to be quite um, um, brave um, and, and put, uh, almost controversial with some of their marketing. You know, this is an era when um, there was actually print media that was a kind of thing. Yeah. And there was a, I think it was Property Week or something, there was a, a kind of trade press and they used to take the front page on that. And I remember once uh, there was this famous thing where they um, they were quite naughty with the branding they would do. And they had this quite risque picture they wanted on it in their kind of pink and kind of white colors. And it was given the no-no. So they ended up doing a slightly different thing. There was an astronaut, but the, the, but the property people didn't notice that the reflection in the astronaut's visor was the naughty thing they'd wanted originally. They thought <laughs> okay. they were so pleased with themselves. But, they, but you know, uh, the serious point is they were distinctive and, you know, uh, and people in that business loved the business. Um, they built a really, really good business. And, um, you know, it's one of those where, you know, Judd Farris people will meet each other 20 years later and they, you know, they're Judd Farris people. Right. So I think that's something to be proud of. Absolutely. Well, look, that's 
very much what I want to talk to you about today is building up a successful business and, um, you know, it's not easy to achieve and you guys are doing ph phenomenal. Um, a couple other people I want, just wanted to see if you know. So Katrina Collier has been on my podcast before. How well do you know Katrina? Not so well. Not so well. So she's definitely worth, I, um, since you're already connected with her, definitely revisit that connection because she's one of okay. the people who's really working to make the recruitment industry better. Her, She's written a book called Robot Proof Recruiter, which is really good. Okay. Um, and she does training for both internal like recruiters as well as agency recruiters. Cool. Um, Thank you. I will. And Steve Beckett, do, do you know Steve at uh, Sourcebreaker? No. no. Okay. So he's part oh, of the Well, show. I know Sourcebreaker. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, 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 he's done very well, obviously, with that product. Yeah, they've, they're like one of the fastest growing companies in Europe, um, which, is, which is interesting considering yeah. it's like a recruitment-specific software platform. Well, and considering that it does a really smart thing with a different product, that, and, and that's a tightrope to walk in terms of how it um, enhances usability of LinkedIn. Right. It's very, very clever because I suspect that there's some uh, uh, tightrope to be walked Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, um, I'm not quite sure how they're pulling that off, but they seem to be doing it. Well, I guess they, yeah, I guess they provide enough value to drive people to LinkedIn that the LinkedIn feel that's kind of a, you know, it becomes integral, doesn't it? But yeah, uh, yeah well, no, he's done a great job with that business, yeah, Steve. Interesting. So look, um, let's talk about Santon House. What is a chief customer officer? Because that's your job title. What does that really mean? Yeah. Well, you know, obviously it sounds a bit grand, doesn't it, for a business of 80 people. Uh, but um, when we started the company right from the start, the thing that we um, were adamant was going to be different about Stanton House is that we were we are passionate about the customer experience and that was going to be at the heart of everything we did. It's part of the DNA and that has remained true until today. The thing with customers, you know, that term isn't often used in recruitment. People talk about clients and candidates and I think that's part of the problem with the industry and in that clients are often treated very well, um, but candidates often are not. And, um, you know, and the kind of crazy thing with that is, of course, you know, they're just people at various stages of their path. You know, they're either hiring someone for their team or they're, they're looking for a new role, maybe both at the same time. And actually, you know, you could argue that the, the, the life-changing impact of changing jobs for yourself and how you pay your mortgage and support your spouse and your kids is a bigger life experience than hiring a key person for your team. Yet somehow the industry often neglects um, the um, you know looking after those people in terms of sort of communication and and support. And so right from the start, that was our, our passion was about treating everyone we dealt with as customers and not differentiating in service levels between candidates and clients. And over time, we've developed different ways. You know, how we train people. There's ways in which we kind of, you know, um, uh, I guess support people in their performance. And we have loads of, um, you know, because uh, you know, so many times our candidates end, end up becoming our clients. Our clients become our candidates, and so forth. We measure customer experience rigorously uh, through loads of different sort of automated journeys. We'll, we'll get feedback on how we're doing with different aspects of the recruitment process. And the reason I have this job title now is that over time. It, it just better represented the job I did. When I speak to customers, uh, it's not so much from a business development perspective. It's all about, you know, how did we do? How could we do better? You know, what advice have you got in terms of how we can, um, you know, adapt our offering? And, um, yeah, I guess it's a better representation of my role in the business now. Um, yeah, and I'm particularly around sort of global clients um, where we might deal with multi-specialism, multi-location. Amazing. All right. I like it. And, Totally agree with what you're saying on a conceptual level, the idea of, you know, in fact, this is something I learned from Romney as well, was he used the term customers to include both clients and candidates. Um, in fact, now you could argue that our own employees, current or future employees are also customers in, in a sense. And so you've kind of got three audiences that if you want to scale a business, a recruitment business, you need to have programs in place for each of those types of customers. Um, but what on a, you, you mentioned that there's, there's training, there's systems, there's processes designed around the, the customer experience. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, over the last quarter, our, our net promoter score was 72, which okay. is, um, is pretty high. And yeah. 
um, you know, the reason we, we we get into that in real real detail. So what we what we kind of worked out over the last few years is that um, it's not much help to just um, you know at certain point in the process send out a message to your candidate your, your your client customer saying you know on a scale of one to ten how how likely are you to promote it. You need much more context. You need richer data than that. So what we developed a few years ago and um, it sort of keeps evolving is we've determined um, five different stages in the into, in the um, candidate customer experience and four different stages in the client customer experience and we have a um, we basically have a um, a message that goes out that asks some experience some questions about customer satisfaction and net promoter score so they're quite contextual so if it was to a candidate when we send something out at the point they've just gone through an interview, we ask about how well we prepared them for the interview. And the questions, there's a couple of questions around, um, you know, that are quite contextual to what we'd expect our people to do to help them prepare for that interview in terms of preparing for the company, the role, the people they're meeting, um, you know, how they sell themselves, all those sorts of things. And we have a score where, you know, one, one, two, um, you know, one is it was poor, two is it was good, three is it was exceptional, four is it was the best experience this nature I've ever had with a recruitment company. So the bar is set quite high. And obviously we have suppression rules so people don't get bombarded with these things. But, um, you know, we get a lot of feedback. We, um, and, and, and there's obviously a verbatim opportunity for narrative. So what we get is we get scores on how we did compared to that bar. We get a net promoter score and we often get a narrative. Now, the beauty of that is that we can track that perhaps what part of the recruitment process may be is not receiving the best feedback and actually as a training opportunity, as a learning opportunity. We also, you know, sometimes get some negative feedback and, you know, I then can, because all these come from me, I can then reach out to them and say, look, you know, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about that and work out what we could have done better. So they, you know, that customer feels listened to and often there's an opportunity to perhaps, you know, turn that into a positive because generally they feel, well, this is unusual. You know, a senior guy's giving me a call. Um, and uh, perhaps we can sort of turn around the situation. Although, you know, my objective is to listen. You know, sometimes that's not possible. But um, uh, but, uh, but the beauty of it as well is it's so much rich feedback where we can give recognition for, for a great job. You know, the key thing for me, you know, in many recruitment companies, it's all about billing. If you bill well, you're a hero. Well, in our business and maybe a lot of other businesses, I hope, it's much more than that, you know. To be a hero at our business, you need to live the values, you need to be kind to others, you need to be, um, you know, a high performer against your expectations, but you also need to deliver an exceptional customer experience. So we can drill down net promoter score, customer um, satisfaction scores by team, by location, by individual. And what we can also do, of course, is when a customer says, oh, you know, Alison was amazing. She gave a brilliant experience. I, you know, we share that with the company. We get to give recognition and kudos to the person who delivered that service. So, sorry, it's a bit of a long answer, but it's 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 a process basically that is baked in, and it helps. You know, it's all very well saying, "Oh yeah, we really believe." You know, you hire people and you tell your people we believe in customer experience. Yeah, but what actually really happens? Like in in, in practice, what does that mean? Other than you putting it on the wall. Since you're listening to this podcast, it tells me that you're someone who's interested in personal growth and business improvement. That's something we have in common. I really enjoy listening to podcasts, reading, and listening to business books, watching TED Talks. But by far the most important investment I've made in my own development has been working with a coach. It started back in 1999, 2000, when I was working as a recruiter. I hired a coach and he helped me to double my billings in 90 days. It was, it sounds corny, but it was really a life-changing experience. Since then, I've worked with various coaches almost continuously over the years, and it's made a massive difference to my own personal and business success. In fact, that first experience of working with a coach was the catalyst for me ultimately deciding that much as I loved recruitment, my true purpose was to become a coach and enable others to achieve their full potential. Fast forward to today, and I work with recruitment business owners to help them escape the feast and famine roller coaster and create consistent, predictable billings. If you'd like to know more, you can apply for a free strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. This is genius, Nick. I just love this, what you've um, put in place. And I've not, I've talked to 
a lot of recruiters and recruitment business owners. I've not come across anyone who's approached this topic as rigorously as this. Um, I'm really impressed. What also now? But the, another thing I learned from from Romney, since we were talking about him a lot today, is this idea of differentiation. You have to have something genuinely unique and tangible that benefits the customer and which you can show them. It's not just your promise or your you know empty yeah. words, but you can actually demonstrate that you do things differently. And yeah. um, and this sounds like the, the definition of that. Well, I think there's more to it. I mean, look, you know, I've not come across it either with other recruitment companies. The reason I'm very happy to talk about it publicly is because if every recruitment company did it, I think that would be a good thing, right? I, I, I would love to make the industry better. Um, and if somebody, you know, um, did it better than us, um, you know, that's a good challenge. And, and, and I think, you know, it would raise the bar in terms of the industry, which is not always the most respected industry, even though so many brilliant well-intentioned, hard-working people in, in the industry. I think in terms of differentiation, there's a lot to it. And, you know, um, one of the things I think is key to differentiation is that you are a specialist in your field. I think it's really hard to differentiate in terms of the service you offer if you if you do kind of too many things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm talking about an individual team or an individual consultant there. I mean, us as a company, we do a few things, but the collective's, in each location only do one thing so yeah they become experts at that in fact there was a brilliant example over the weekend of one of the guys out in our chicago office it blew my mind so over the weekend he did a very brave thing he he's an expert in his field he does cybersecurity recruitment and he went on reddit and did an ama i don't know if you you know i'm learning right it's an ask me anything okay, okay. cool uh, and there's uh, 300 million people on, on Reddit and 50% of them are in the US. So it, it, 10 hours later, um, you know, he's had 160,000 views. Wow. He's had all these interactions and people, and, and he got a bit of abuse. I mean, you know, you put yourself out there as yes. I'm an expert in, you know, you're just teeing up people with a anonymous you know, avatar to give you abuse. So he, but he dealt with that brilliantly and, you know, kept his sense of humor but offered tangible value to people who are either planning or in the midst of having challenges with career in cybersecurity. That, for me, I think is wonderful. Talk about dif- differentiated. He shared his expertise with a wide range. Now, obviously, there's lots of benefits to Stanton House of him of doing that. But if he was a tech recruiter, he wouldn't have been able to do that. The questions were really drilled down. They were, they were really detailed questions about about choices in that career that he would have only known if that's the only thing he does. So when you come to differentiation, I think you've got to be a specialist as well as focusing on customer experience and operating with integrity and those sorts of things. Definitely. That's brilliant. They they go hand in hand for sure. Uh, I I, I can see what you mean. So I'd love to just understand this a bit better, the, the customer experience and the process that you've put in place. So you explained that you've identified five stages in the candidate experience and four stages in the client experience, which are um, pivotal to the overall success uh, and uh, of that of that particular journey. Um, and then you have is it an automated email campaign that goes alongside yeah. that, we, or yeah, we used to do it through. Um MailChimp or mm-hmm. something like that. I can't yeah. quite remember the the, the the product. It was a little bit clunky, but now we've invested in some uh, marketing automation software. We use a product called Sense. Okay. Um, we're a Bullhorn. Bullhorn's our CRM. Yeah. Uh, Bullhorn have a product called Herefish, which is very oh, yes. similar. And what you can do with these products, and we've got a brilliant marketing team who do all the work. I, you know, I'm just here taking the glory. Um, so. Yeah, those that you know, Nat and Georgia um, build build the journeys. We work out the journey, and they build the journeys. And, and and the lovely thing about Sense and Herefish is that they integrate with your CRM. So they are what we've done is built journeys that are triggered by a certain event in the CRM. They that message then goes out, but the responses are written back into the CRM. So um, you know, it is it is it is scalable. Um, there's a bit of um, housekeeping to do because you, you know we've also got a brilliant um data um 
manager and Karen, you know, always, always keeping on top of uh, data integrity because, you know, you can imagine if you're sloppy with your data and you've got automated marketing, then you, you know, you can get yourself in a pickle. So, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a bit of a journey to go on, but yeah. So these, 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 these automated journeys are, are, are created. They're triggered by an event in the CRM. They're written back into the CRM. There's notifications to key people. And then we 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 act on it uh, we act on it accordingly. So the, first of all, sense is that as an SE and uh, SE, SE yes SE and SE yeah okay yeah I've not heard so it's a that. software as a service yeah cloud based application um, yeah and um, but there's as I say there's more than that one out there although it's, you know they they we've been pretty happy with our selection of you know what I find in recruitment um, is that people are very generous so when we um, when we were looking at it, you know, working out which product, we, we, we reached out to a, a bunch of companies who already had it and people get so generous with their time telling us about the pros and cons of the product and, you know, what the, the benefit they'd got out of it and so forth. Fantastic. So then you mentioned, of course, you're getting lots of really valuable data, but then you said something about a narrative. Could you explain what you meant by that? Well, there's a free text field in effect from the uh, customer and uh, customers don't always choose to fill that in but very often they do particularly if they've had you know haven't been a bad experience and we don't get too many of those but it happens and obviously if they've had a, an experience that's really uh, made an impression on them so you then get the beauty of somebody saying um you know philippa looked after me she listened to me she um um you know she gave me tangible help for me to get the job i'll never forget it and if i'm ever a client i'll work with her we get a lot of that I mean, how wonderful is that? I get then to speak to Philippa and say, hey, Philippa, wow, look what we've got here. She feels good about her job. Um, her boss, love, you know, it's just a, a level, it, it's a lovely affirmation of why why our vision um, and our DNA around customer is important. Um, so, yeah, I, it's, it, that's, that's how that works. I, I think you need... You know, there's quite a lot of time involved because, um, you know, we get quite a lot of this. And, and, and you know, part of my job is I, I, process, I do that personally. You know, that's not a thing I would delegate. So, um, you know, you have to be prepared to care about that stuff and want to share a personal message with, the, with your colleague that, you know, who's, who's done that work. And indeed, on the times we do get, you know, this could be better stuff, that's a phone call and it's a chat to the person and their boss. Okay, what can we learn from this? How do we, you know, how, how do we, how do we deal with this? Is there a training, training issue or what support can, can we give you? But, you know, it's like anything, you know, you want to know, don't you? You can't deal with anything unless you know. And I think absolutely in recruitment often stuff would go on. You just wouldn't know. Do you know what? It's so true. First of all, this is really powerful. I, um, I love how much attention you've and thought you've really put into this. Um, but yeah, you're right. I would much rather know if I, you know, have done something that someone's not satisfied with, because then I have a chance to at minimum learn from that or ideally turn it, turn it around. But if you don't know, and I guess sometimes it's a case of because of the way the incentives work in our business and the, like you have, and I don't think it's that people don't want to do a good job or they're, they, of course, they care about getting it right and, you know, having happy clients and candidates. But if you're under intense pressure to hit targets and that's the, the only thing you're really bonused on is, you know, yeah. doing, doing deals and, and closing, uh, placements. Um, and the, and you're, you, you've got a lot of orders and a lot of work, like, recruiters work hard it's not a, it's not an easy job then I, sometimes you know these quality issues can just yeah. fall by the wayside and and um you're following up behind to make sure that we don't miss any of those things which is cool yeah and you know we perhaps we could go further mark you know we 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 don't link people's compensation to their customer experience score we don't for, for, for a few reasons but i'll tell you what we do i mean uh, caroline who runs our people team She's built this incredible competency framework for roles and responsibilities throughout the business. So everybody knows 100% what I need to do to be successful in my role and what I need to do to be in the frame to get promoted to the next role. And one of those things for all roles is you have to have positive customer experience. 
and every single so so you can make a lot of money but you'll never get promoted unless you get you know and in fact look to be honest if somebody got consistently bad customer experience we'd be all over it you know we, we, we you know that would not last they would amend how they operated and so forth you know then becomes a values point but the fact is everybody at every level part of the way you progress in this business is that you you have to deliver consistently a strong customer experience um there's lots of other things you need to do around you know helping others and living the values and all of those sorts of things but it's not just about billing there is a billing level but that's not just about billing it's yes. much more than that yeah absolutely that's really interesting because it's about what and you you mentioned the recognition so being able to give that positive feedback to people is is huge i mean that is so motivating and that you know, it's the things in the business that you celebrate, that you recognize and that you reward or you promote people. Those are the things, those are the behaviors that are going to get reinforced, aren't they? Yeah. Um, yeah. hundred percent. And, and, you know, you know, that culture is about what people do, not what, you know, the marketing slogan is. And when yeah. Neil and I set the business up, we had certain beliefs around integrity, energy, ambition, which are our values and about the customer experience. And, uh, you know, our, our vision is all about exceptional performance through um, outstanding performance, rather through exceptional customer experiences. You know, the two go together. And if and if you know if we achieved um, outstanding performance, but the customer experience was rubbish, you know, okay, we might make a few quid, but we would be, you know, we wouldn't be able to look each other in the eye. Um, the same the other way around, of course. That you know, if you, if you if you gave exceptional customer experience but didn't actually make any money, that's a different problem. But the point is, our, our vision right from the start was about both i love it this is really cool one more question regarding the customer experience before we move on um you mentioned training like how does the training dovetail into the customer uh, journey and everything well i think um <clears throat> there's a few different ways in, w- in which that happens i mean i think we we focus all our training on adding value to the cu- to the customer on 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 the journey so you know whether that's to do with specific coaching or whether it's to do with sort of collateral we share with them so um you know it, 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 i'll go back to the example i used earlier if a candidate is preparing for for, for an interview uh, we train our people on how to make it more likely they're going to get the job said, well yes of course obvious i mean that isn't that what we all do but it's much more, of course, than making sure they get there on time and they know who they're meeting. It's that we'll give them insight into um, the type of organization, the culture in the organization. You know, we, we'll speak to somebody who does the role they do in that organization and find out what it's really like around here. Um, we'll give them insight into the person that they're, that they're meeting. We've got a kind of a, it's a standard document, but there's some really brilliant stuff in there around how you handle um, uh, competency questions around around the importance of preparing your own questions that are going to help you be a more attractive employee rather than you know asking really basic questions about how you expect, uh, talk about your CV. And so what we do is at every stage, we talk about building long-term relationships. And the way you build long-term relationships is by adding value. And whether or not you do a deal with that person or not, they go away from that feeling like it was a good experience. They would love to work with us again. Um, and, you know, perhaps if, you know, if we ever needed their help, they might recommend a friend to us. So you're building goodwill, you're adding value. That that goes through the heart of all of the training, I guess. So it's, and then when they get the, the validation of some positive customer feedback, obviously, that, you know, that relatively new person in our business, start, it all starts to fall into place. We also speak to our customers quite a lot about it. I mean, very recently, um, had a lovely thing. Um, this doesn't happen very often, but a client, phoned me up uh he, he messaged me first he said i've had a request for customer experience here and i'd actually like a call with you of course you know that's going to go one way or the other <laughs> right, a little so bit you're like, like, okay oh i hope this is uh, uh, yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i kind of had a little look at the CRO. i said oh this seems to be going quite well with this guy i wonder what you know anyway and he he phoned me up and um has some lovely things to say about what was distinctive and better about the service we gave and he was very specific particular and it was so powerful. And I said, look, you know, we kind of bonded a little bit. Nice guy. So I said, look, actually, we have a company call every two weeks, the whole company on, on a call. I said, how would you feel about coming on our company call and saying how it is to be a client and what feels good and what doesn't feel good? And, and this guy, brave fellow, 80 people. So he came on our company call, on our, our biweekly Teams call. 
he said, yeah, I called Nick and this is why I called him and, and this was what was great. And let me tell you what doesn't feel great as a client. And has anyone got any questions? And he spent half an hour with our entire company saying how, you know, and he's a, he's a you know, senior guy. And, and, and that for me, that message from him in many respects was more powerful than anything I say. I mean, he's the customer. So yeah, we, we do lots of things to try and bake it in. It, it, well, I suppose what I'm trying to, I'm sure you've got the message, right? But it's not, this isn't marketing fluff. This is what we believe is part of our DNA. Yeah, got it. That's awesome. Would you like to make the transition from pure contingency to being a retained recruiter? Do you want to be respected as a true business partner by your clients while increasing your average fee? If so, then clearly you need to do something different. You can't just keep doing what you're doing and expect a different result. Our sponsor, iIntro, gives you a turnkey solution for winning retained searches and managed service agreements at higher fees. You will take business away from your competitors because you can actually show the client a unique methodology in a very tangible way and demonstrate conclusively how you will improve their staff retention and reduce their total cost per hire while also saving hours of management time. If you'd like to see how iIntro can help you to grow your recruitment business and increase your average fees, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. Book a free consultation. There's no obligation. And if you mention that you listen to this podcast, iIntro have pledged to offer you a 25% discount on any of their services. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained to get started. So 2010... You and your co-founder Neil are um, deciding to, to to launch a business. What what motivated you to do that, and what was your thought process? Because I think you had young kids at the time, and like what was going on for you personally that made it seem like this was a good decision. Well, it was a little bit about timing. I mean, um, I'd worked for a business called Badenock and Clark for fourteen years. Um, they're now part of the ADECO group, um, formerly were part of a, a US-owned group um, called MPS that's, you know, and Neil had been there maybe 18 years, something like that. So I joined, um, I'm quite old, I joined in the end of 1995 and um, I loved it, great business. And in fact, when when Neil and I were first there, it was owned by um, by two, two people, uh, Alexandra and Deirdre. And they were amazing. You know, it was only I don't know fifty people when I joined. When I left in twenty ten, it was five hundred people. So it was a really good journey. And um, I mean, partly timing was 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 good. I mean, I think I think there were you know in those sort of years, I think we had sixty one quarters in a row of positive GDP growth in the UK. Wow. I mean, I, I came into recruitment at a good time. Um, but you know, Deirdre and Alexander had a really good business, good culture, good values, uh, and then in 2000 they sold the business to this American group. And what was great is that as I went through the ranks, and you know, Neil um, became the managing director of that business and ran it for many years, and I ran a chunk of it. And um, Neil was my boss, and um, the Americans just left us to it, which which, which was great. And uh, and then in twenty, in the end of two thousand and nine, very unexpectedly, as far as you know, we were concerned, the Americans decided to sell their entire group to Adeco, big Swiss staffing group, as you will know. And everything changed really because you know we had a boss in a place called Jacksonville in Florida. I don't know if you've been there. Nope. Um, there's not a lot happening in Jacksonville, um, and um, they left us to it, which was great. So we felt pretty autonomous. But suddenly, you know, there's a UK MD of ADECO sort of just up the road who, you know, no disrespect to him, but, you know, very interested in our business and thought that, you know, we kind of paid our people too much and, you know, our margins were, you know, whatever. I, I, look, I, no, I, no harm done. I think, you know, many people, former colleagues of mine, have done great through that association and I wish them all the best. But for Neil and I and a few others, it, it, it was a, it was a good catalyst to leave. So um, yeah, we we um, we had some garden leave, and um, it was one of those things where it was a bit like, well, it's now or never, isn't it? And, um, and Neil said, yeah, I'm, I, I really want to do this. Um, you know, are you you know, do you want to do it with me? Um, <clears throat> and um, we had six months to think about it in a way because we were still being still still employed, albeit not working. And so we agreed that we would both go away and have some conversations with other businesses, make sure we're really 
convinced that this is the right thing and uh you know we we're going to put our life savings into this and um we both did that and came back you know sort of equally sort of i suppose you know unimpressed not unimpressed but nothing was different because we both had this passion for the customer experience both had this passion for a sort of trying to make a bit of a dent in the industry by doing it you know in a way with great integrity which there's lots of great companies but so many are not so yeah we we, we made the call and then um, you know the hardest thing of course is what you're going to call your business i don't know if you went through that oh, Mark, yeah definitely but, you know the first 20 ideas the url is not available yeah. and the .com and you see kind of go but anyway we came up with that in the end and yeah and then october 2010 but in fact earlier today i was chatting to a, a guy i met in um, chicago setting up his own business i'm sure he'll be hugely successful he's a very talented lad but there's just two of them at the moment he was asking my advice on a few things and um i was laughing with him because i said well look you know you you know he's in his early 30s and he's a big biller and he's dude he's doing it with a big bit i said look you got a massive advantage over us you're really good at recruitment now you need to learn a bit about he's he's managed people but he needs to learn a bit about scaling a business and right. i'm sure there's lots of people around who can help him with that neil and i hadn't done recruitment for 10 years you know we'd managed directors who managed managers who managed people who did recruitment so it was scary yeah but yeah we we we, we got going and yeah. So t- tell me about that then. So you guys had been really senior. You didn't actually do placements anymore, running a, running a desk. And then you're starting, you're in a startup where it's all hands on deck. Everybody has to, you know, contribute. Um, what was, what, what were those early days like at Santon House? Oh, it's terrifying. I mean, you know, it was me and him in, in a We hired this brilliant lady called Denise who stayed with us for she's no longer with us stayed with us for many years and held held the room together because it meant she did everything which meant we could do recruitment and she's so talented and um, we'd have never got here without her um yeah I mean we we, we sort of just because it's not like we, we didn't have any clients so we had networks so we phoned people up and we you know, got, got meetings and stuff. And we, we chose software and we, you know, started, you know, we, then we got a job and then we started speaking to candidates. I guess it went from there. But, you know, it, we were, it's not like, I think most people when they set a recruitment company up, what they have is they have a bunch of clients who when their, you know, covenants are done, they're going to follow them, you know. And uh, Neil and I didn't have that. So it was a bit, it was a bit scary. But fortunately, I mean, we, we raised a bit of money. We, we, we put some money in the two of us. And we also had an investor at the start who put some money in, a private investor. So then we could hire some people quite soon. We didn't have to make a load of money before we hired. And so thankfully, we hired some people who were really good at recruitment. And then we kind of caught up a bit. And in fact, there were two guys in particular who, um, you know, who worked out, out of the Thames Valley, um, Kevin and Lee, who, who joined you know, March 11, I think. And they, um, and, and they were brilliant at recruitment. They still are. And they're still a big part of it. And they, you know, shareholders and, you know, um, and, and, and then we hired a few other people who knew what they were doing. Um, so, um, yeah, we kind of got up to speed, but the first 18 months were a bit scary. I bet. I bet. That's amazing. So obviously you've alluded to having really good people is a massive success factor. Um, what were some of the, cause you've, you've been extraordinarily successful considering most, I think there's 27,000 or maybe more recruitment businesses just in the UK. And you guys are one of the fastest growing and most of them are, are micro businesses. So they're like one to five people, maybe 10 people. Uh, very, very few get to, now I know you're, uh, 80 people are still at small, medium enterprise, but in, rec- yeah. in the recruitment industry, it's, it's, it's a significant business. Um, what do you think are the success factors that have enabled that? Well, you know, I think one is you've got to have a vision and a and a and, a, and an ambition to get scale. Yeah. I think, you know, if you, it's easier not to grow. I mean, that's the fact. You know, you, you get you get that. I'm sure if you if you've got half a dozen, ten people, um, keep your costs low. Um, people love working there. You can make quite a lot of money i mean you could be you know without too much risk so growth does involve some risk but neil and i from the start you know we 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 wanted to prove that um you know we want to make a statement to the industry and say yeah look after your customers operate with integrity and you can still win commercially so we always wanted to grow 
Um, I think it all comes down to culture, really, doesn't it? I think, um, you know, what are your values? What do you believe in? What's your vision? What's your DNA of the business? And then hiring people that, um, that, that believe in that. Over the years, we have hired some people with recruitment experience that, that have been brilliant hires. And, um, you know, maybe some of them will watch this podcast and, uh, you know, I love you. I'm glad you're here. Also, we have made mistakes with hiring experienced people because, um, w- I mean, every business is probably distinctive. Every business is unique. We find it quite difficult sometimes to hire really experienced people who believe in the same things we believe in. And often they're good at set, good set. Well, I think I'm pretty good at interviewing, but they might be quite good at sales as well. And so you kind of have this connection, but they don't really believe in it. And so we've made some mistakes over the years. And where we've had more success, um, frankly, has been hiring people of different ages and different backgrounds and so forth, but people without recruitment experience and training, but have the shared values, shared attitude, work ethic, um, who we teach how to do it. And I think that's how we've got the scale, basically, that we, we've we got a brilliant learning and development team. Um, you know, Caroline and Esther are, are amazing. Um, you know, we, we've got great, we've got great support functions um you know and and they and so we've got the foundations for growth um we've got a really clear proposition around you know what we stand for and how we train people so i think that makes it scalable um we are we are teams of people who do consistent things together rather than a bunch of individuals in a room interesting interesting um i've got a further question about training and and the mix of you know, hiring inexperienced versus experienced recruiters. Um, just so I understand your model, it, are people running a full desk or is it like you have separate salespeople and recruiters or how does that work? Yeah. But it used to be, you know, 360, everybody, mm-hmm. and we're evolving. So now we have, um, we do have people. So the US thing would be sort of recruiter and sales or recruiter and consultant, which which we now have in, in the US. So, um, there's two sort of career paths and both are great, really nicely formed career paths where, you know, you can get promoted and achieve great things and earn, earn really good money. And in the UK, we're edging towards that as well, Mark, actually. We, we've we got, uh, you know, within one of our uh, more successful teams, we've got a um, sort of a delivery team. Um, and, um, you know, it, 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 it's, we, we're getting um, a better, we're getting a better um, conversion rate on our jobs mm-hmm. through, through those guys and girls that focus on that and and then sometimes you know there's always a path sometimes they'll pop out of that and say actually i want to now make that transition and that's that's cool but there's a career path if they don't want to Mm. so we are edging towards the um more of a um divergent uh choice Mm. around recruiter and sales and perhaps that's i don't know is that is that driven a little bit by the recruitment marketplace or are we a little bit slow to get to there i'm not sure some businesses have always done that haven't they yeah, it's a really interesting one because I can see there's there's not a perfect model and I can see pros and cons to both of these. Um, definitely it's running a 360 desk is is tough and not everyone, I mean, I'm putting my hand up here too that because that was my role. But looking back, I was much better at the client side than I was at the recruiting side. Um, and trying to juggle both of those is, is difficult. Um, on the other hand, when you have like a situation like we did with uh, COVID or something where there's a decline in the economy, then all of a sudden you have these, you know, the delivery team who have less to do and you're there underutilized, what happens to them? So, you know, it, there is a sense in which the, the, the folks who are client focused and who can win work, um, it seems like that is a, the, the, I don't know, the more uh, required in every market um, and which possibly leads to this challenge where you've got where, what is the career path for someone on the recruiting side? How does it, how does it work in your business, Nick? Um, yeah, so, so it's, as I say, uh, this is something that has evolved over the last two years. But, um, well, the way it works is that um, in similar, so we've got various career paths. You can, you can become a billing director in our business as well. You might, your skill may not be leading people 
but through certain sort of milestones in our competency framework, you can you can progress all the way through to director level. And in recruiter, it's the same, but you have to. But you, the only way you'll do that is through leading people. So, you know, you can become you can become um, you know, expert as a recruiter and get a couple of different promotions, three different promotions. But at that point, if you're to progress, you have to then deliver through others. So you then have to lead recruiters. And it, it, over time, you know, it's not like we've got huge scale, but this is the path. You then manage recruiters. So there is a career path, but it ends up having to be delivering through others rather than being, let's say, a mega biller uh, on the 360 side. Mm. But I think this has always been the perennial thing in recruitment where, you know, you'll have heard this a thousand times where, you know, um, you know, Alison is a really good biller. Well, let's make her manager of the team. And it might be that she's really good at billing, but actually she's got no interest in leading people. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I'll do it because the pay rise is there. And then you have this terrible scenario where you've got, you know, somebody leading people who doesn't really want to lead people. Now, um, you know, I just think, I mean, we, we all agree that's a terrible mistake. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah the industry does it a lot, yes. even now. I mean, it's bizarre. But I think, you know, what you've got to do, I think, is is you've got to give people choices so that, you know, yeah, leading people can be a brilliant way to um, progress your career in Stanton House or indeed, you know, any company. But there are other ways to progress your career. You know, people want to know what do I need to achieve next to get to the next level to you know whether that's about increased salary and benefits or whether it's just about feeling my career is moving forward um and it can't be all pushing everyone towards leading people because that just doesn't play to the diversity of talent totally right you know it's a whole different skill set and uh temperament even and and uh, you know just because someone is a big biller doesn't automatically mean they're going to make a a good manager by any means. Um, okay, no, that's really interesting how you've you've set that up. So coming back to the recruiting experience versus um, versus trainees, Nick, um, because all the businesses that I have seen scale have sooner or later got to the point where they are growing their own people uh, who yeah. are don't have any baggage, who you know are in. In do, you know, chosen for the culture fit from the outset, and they're chosen for attitude and values fit, and then they're trained for skill. Um, at what stage in your evolution did you arrive at that point where you had the learning development and everything was set up so that you could you could do that? Because when there's only a few of you in the room, that's that's pretty difficult. Yeah. Yeah, quite early on. I mean, that was the beauty of, you know, our investor putting some money in. We, you know, we could make some losses in the first couple of years, putting in some functions to enable us to do that. And yeah, quite early on, we were doing that. Cool. You know, we, we, um, the experience with people that we hired in the early stage of the business were former colleagues who, who came to join us. So, I mean, you know, the risk was pretty, we knew each other pretty well. Right. right. Um, and so, and, and we hired, you know, we used to, um, yeah, we, I mean, we, yeah, we hired we hired um, people with no recruitment experience. We've always been slightly, you know, this sort of t- called grads. I mean, you know, grads is a dangerous term. You know, we've hired many people who are not graduates. They've got different sorts of life experiences. So it's a very um, restrictive term. You know, we try and stick to sort of people new to recruitment and they could have come through a different sort of path. Um, you know, but, it, it, you know, um, statistically often they are graduates with maybe a year or two's experience um and they'll they'll come into our business and um yeah we'll teach them how to um how to do this job fantastic uh so initially you're hiring people who you already know because you know it's a it's a it's a known you know quantity you know that you can work well with them and you know that they are good um once you've exhausted that kind of initial network um in what scenarios would you still hire an experienced person? Um, do you mean today? Yeah. You know, we're always open to it. You know, uh, you, you just have to meet a lot of people. Um, you know, there was a there was a, a, a person that we tried to hire um, at the beginning of this year, and she, if she's if she watches this, she'll know who I'm talking about. She is brilliant because. She's hugely successful, but she's totally a, a values fit for our business. As it turns out, her, her current company, you know, made her an offer she couldn't, um, you know, felt she couldn't 
turned down and she ch- chose to stay. And, you know, of course, we respect that. It's very disappointing because it's quite rare we meet people that are experienced who we believe in like that. And who knows, maybe that'll come around again one day. Um, we meet a lot of people. And it's very rare that we we think, and that that's going to come across, you know, um, it's not like we think we're you know, best company in the world. Well, maybe we do, but there's not a sort of um, superiority thing here. It's just a fit thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we meet a lot of people, a lot of experienced people, but they have to want to work here. If somebody watches this, um, you know, this pod, and they uh, and they message me saying, Nick everything you talked about there with with values and customer and you know DNA of your business really um, resonates with me. I'd love to have a chat with you. That would be amazing because that is the thing that, that, that has attracted them. You know, the hard thing with a bit, you know, and so thanks for this opportunity, Mark, because the hard thing with a business like ours is there are some pretty cool things about our business that I'm really, really proud of, but hardly anyone knows us. Mm. You know, it's, it's difficult, you know, we, we don't spend money on brand and, you know, our customers know us, our markets know us, but, but you know, as you said, 27,000 or whatever, you know, people just don't know us. And, um, you know, and, and let's say that a small proportion of the people in the industry do believe in what you know, I was talking about, but, you know, then you've got to bump into each other at the right time. So it's tricky. Um, everybody says we believe in building strong relationships, you know, and some people mean it. You know, but a lot of people don't. So it's hard to see through the fog. Mm. So, so again, sorry, that's a long-winded answer. We definitely do hire experienced people. We want to meet experienced people. In the meantime, we're going to hire people and train them up. Yeah. Yeah, we're not going to wait to build that thing until we find that person because, you know, we've made that mistake before. You, you know, good luck with that. Totally. I guess you have a lot more – you can be proactive in building your own team from scratch. Um, you're not – reacting to who becomes available or who you meet in the in the market that is a good fit. Um, so you mentioned that they may or may not be actually actual graduates, but they're new to recruitment. Have yeah. there been particular um, backgrounds that have been more successful for you than others? No. The, the, the thing that has been a common factor, we love it when people have worked through their studies or they've had they've not had it too easy mm, i can <laughs> um, yes yeah and i'm not holding it you know i mean my kids have you know you might argue about it you know something i worry about all the time you know is their life a bit too easy um but when when somebody um you know I touch wood when i say that you know but um when 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 somebody has had to strive you know that is always really encouraging when they've got some stories of adversity or challenge where they've had to overcome, that's really encouraging. We, like many businesses, um, struggle to get um, diversity right. I think we're, I hope, I think we're, you know, better with inclusion, but diversity we find difficult. We we, we try really hard to hire diversity around, um, you know, ethnicity and um Agenda, we're pretty good, but you know, um, diversity of backgrounds, social economic backgrounds, and so forth. Uh, you know, I think a lot of um, a lot of young people are deterred from university by the the costs now, certainly in the UK. And if you know, mum and dad have got a load of money, you've got a better chance of going. I mean, that's just a yeah, that is a fact, and yeah. that stresses us out a lot. We 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 we've got um, Esther this. Um, um, one of who runs our L and D. She she's done this amazing program. It's called the Pathway Program, and she, what she's done is um, to, to try and move the dial a bit with this. Is that we've we've got a collection of um, I think it's a pool of eight um, uh, um, men and women from um, socioeconomic uh, disadvantaged background, and, and and they're all eth- ethnically diverse. And what she's she's put them on a program. I did one of the modules, but basically, we, we, they graduate this summer or the previous year, and we basically put them through a training program of helping them uh, sell themselves, prepare for work, uh, interview training, all those sorts of things. And what we're hoping is part of the program offers them an interview for a job with us. They don't have to come work for us, or indeed work in this industry, but it's an option. 
And um, so what we're hoping to do there is give a bit back to a small group initially, and maybe a couple of those guys and girls might come work for us, which would be great. Um, and then next year, uh, we'll do it and we'll make it bigger. So it went, went really well this year. We're still in the midst of it. So we're making some steps like that, but it's we find it difficult, um, to, 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 to be honest with you. That sounds really cool, Nick. Is this something you're offering to clients as well or is it like no it's, it's just it is for job seekers okay. it's it's uh but you know again i mean esther she is super talented and she's done a few things that we were offering to our clients as well um so we you know the the, the pathway program is something that you know we've sort of packaged and we we spoke to a few clients about it you might want to consider this when they're struggling with diversity yeah, again not saying we've got all the answers i mean blimey we haven't but it's just a step it's a thing that we think might help same with um she's built this amazing thing called um the empathy series where we've had over the last six months we've had sessions with everybody in the business to try and help um empathize with others so uh we did one on the menopause one on mental uh, men's mental health one on um one on um pregnancy and ivf um one on um yeah so so i think there's six in the series and people come together and somebody will share their experience of struggling with that um and then because I think, you know, if you're 25 years old, what do you know about the menopause? And you might argue, well, you know, but actually knowing what perhaps your, your mother's gone through or, uh, you know, um, and, um, um, and what maybe one day a partner might go through. So we're trying to help people empathize better um, with, with, with each other. So that is something we've packaged and we've shared with some clients. So I think, we, you know, I mean, Esther's brilliant, but I think the bottom line is, why not run a business where you try and um, help not just your own people, but you try and help customers and, you know, um, in general and try and actually make a positive impact Absolutely. as well as make some money? Absolutely. I love that they're not mutually exclusive by any stretch. Nick, uh, this empathy series, is that like an internal program just to it's develop your internal people? program? Yeah. yeah, it's an internal program, but we, we've now shared that with some clients who are also running it on the same. So we've got like a, uh, Esther and Caroline have developed a sort of a pack on how to do with examples of what we did. So it's like a pre-packaged, if you want to do this, here, here you go. Oh, that's cool. Amazing. I love that. Um, Nick, there's so many things we could talk about. We're, we're, com- we're almost out of time. Uh, is there anything else that I should have asked you that I didn't or anything you wanted to share that we haven't had a ch- covered yet? No, I, I guess, you know, one of the things that's very distinct for our business as well, we haven't talked about really, is the fact that we're not just in the UK. And I think that, mm. um, you know, that has been at times challenging, but it's a big part of the business that we are. One of the beautiful ways of addressing diversity is to set up a business in, you know, um, Singapore or Hong Kong and hire, you know, local um, employees and learn about their culture through through those means. And by moving people around the world between, um, you know, between countries, which we've done a bit of. And in Chicago, of course, you know, it's a completely different community of people than than we have here in, in London and in, and in Reading, where we've got people as well. So, yeah, I mean... Um, yeah, you know, that 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 has been a really key part of our business. And the other thing that we've done, just announced um, uh, just last week, is we've um, actually spun out a, a, um, an executive search brand, Acuity. And we've done senior appointments for many years under Stanton House, but more and more our customers were sort of talking to us about the fact that as a business, doing placing their kind of you know, I don't know mid-senior level role and wanting to pitch for that C-suite role as well from a brand perspective maybe you know they didn't quite see us that way so increasingly we had clients where we did um, senior appointments C-suite stuff and we had clients where we did the rest so we've now spun that out into a different brand so that that's a bit scary it's the first time we've had a separate brand within the business I know many organizations are multi-brand but we're really excited about that David Fleming who runs that is brilliant we're so, yeah, there's loads going on, lots of challenges, Mark. Um, but um, I think we've mostly talked about culture and customer. Uh, you know, I'll speak all day about that. So I'm, I'm happy. Absolutely. Look, um, maybe we can do a follow up and talk more about international, you know, expansion and and having a portfolio of brands and that sort of thing are all really interesting topics. But I think what I've taken away from this, Nick, is really the really, I believe, unique way that you are handling customer experience. I think that has been uh, so brilliant to learn about. And thank you very much for your time today, Nick. It's been an absolute pleasure. 
Pleasure. Good speaking with you, Mark. All and, right. Um, yeah, good luck with everything. Thank you. Have a great day. Take care. You too. Thank you for listening. Just before you go, let me ask you one question. Who in your network would make a great guest on the Resilient Recruiter podcast? I'm always on the lookout for interesting people to interview. Recruitment entrepreneurs who embody the ethos of the Resilient Recruiter. If you're a regular listener, you'll know the kind of person I'm looking for. Ordinary men and women who've achieved extraordinary things. Specifically, I'm looking for someone with a great story to tell, someone who's overcome adversity in pursuit of their goals, and who's open to sharing their own mistakes and learning experiences with our listeners. In the words of previous guests, John Coxon and Alex Elliott, I'm looking for someone with humble confidence. They could be a top producing solo or independent recruiter or the owner of a fast growing firm. Maybe that person is you. Or maybe it's someone you know. Send me your recommendations, mark at recruitmentcoach.com, or feel free to nominate yourself. And if you think you meet the criteria I've just outlined, I'd love to hear from you. Once again, it's mark at recruitmentcoach.com. Remember to hit subscribe, and I'll see you next time.